Hi everyone, my name is Jay Mason and this is my first podcast. In this podcast, I'll be diving deep into the experiences with bilingualism. Without further ado, let's start. For many years, humans have used language as a fundamental way to communicate. It is more commonly known that people will learn the tongue of wherever they grew up, but as our world is expanding and becoming more industrialized and digitally connected, the use of knowing a second or even third language has proven to be more versatile in today's society. This idea of speaking two or more languages is known as bilingualism and accounts for a large number of people in the world. In fact, about 43% of the world is bilingual, but that percentage drops dramatically to 13% for those who are trilingual. In some cultures, this idea of speaking more than one language, especially a language of a foreign origin, has been looked down upon. Especially in English-speaking countries where there hasn't been a need to speak other languages, multilingualism can incite racist behaviors. Prior to the 1800s, Bilingualism was seen as an advantage and vital to learning the art of trade and economic success. In fact, multilingualism was protected under law so that people could keep their heritage. However, starting in the late 1800s, people began to criticize bilingualism because of an ever-growing English pride that was formed from the lack of diversity in language. Also because many Native Americans were forced from their land and ostracized from the community, and because the American colonies had been free from European rule for so long, there was little to no other languages being spoken. Evolving into today's world, many people argue that English should be the only language one would ever need. But an almost equal amount of people say otherwise. Many federal policies for and against speaking another language have been implemented throughout the last 50 years. Either way, being bilingual has been seen many different ways by many different people. But what about the experiences of people who are actually bilingual? A guest interviewee for today is Vivian Zreich. She speaks multiple languages and has had many experiences having to do with being bilingual. Now she answers the question of how being bilingual has affected the way she has gone about her life. You know, for me, it's very tied to my identity. I think when you're bilingual, there's usually a reason that you speak that second language. It's a really big piece of who you are, right? So I guess that's not necessarily true for people who, um, you know, because English is not a language that um, that people learn. People who learn English learn it because of they enjoy listening to music. Like a lot of my cousins in Brazil learned English because English is, you know, the U.S. is the most uh, biggest and the most important economy in the world. So um, chances are, if you have a job, you kind of have to learn English. But another language like Portuguese, for example, for me or people who um, have learned Spanish or French, I think it's a big part of their identity. It also helps me connect with people a lot. Because it's like, oh, you speak Portuguese, are you from Brazil, or you've been to Portugal, and it just becomes a really big part of, easier to connect with people, especially the international crowd. Um, so it's really been a big part of who I am. I can't imagine my life without that. And so one of the things that is touched on is the aspect of how people learn English because of music or because America is the most important economy. This trend of learning English as a second language so that they can function in a large economy points to one of the reasons for why people want to learn another language. This same logic can be applied to other foreign languages that are used in big economies, in communities like China and Germany. These languages that have been mentioned so far are all different in many ways. While Romance languages are very similar, 
Languages like German, Mandarin, and English are three very different languages. This brings up the idea of how people can use different languages in different situations. This next clip from Anisha Mason, another person who is bilingual, answers the question of if there are certain situations where she uses one language over the other. Yeah, it's funny. There's like nuances of language, right? And so I think that, um, I don't know, maybe a simple example is like when you call somebody kind of crazy in English, it can have a little bit of like a negative, obviously a negative connotation, but then there's a kind of a, a playful word for uh, crazy in Gujarati, uh, gando. And um, it, it had more of a playful vibe. And I don't know if, if that's actually true or if it was just more that, you know, growing up, you know, people would tease each other like that when we'd go to India. And so I've always equated that with sort of a, a gentler form of the word. And, and sometimes you can't find the right tone in English. So in those situations, I find myself, you know, obviously talking to my own family, uh, reverting to, to those, some of those types of words. These differences in certain words and tone show the difference that two languages can hold. It also plays into how you can speak quicker in one language or slower in another while also retaining those certain tones you speak in. This next clip from Vivian shows how if there's a difference in tone and speech patterns from different languages that she speaks in. Yeah, so, you know, Portuguese definitely has a cadence, right? It has a melody. Like when I speak, it's... A, it's there's a lot of ups and downs and the Italian as I think is like this a lot too. Um, and so when I speak Portuguese, I tend to speak very fast, very loud. When I first met my husband, he didn't understand why my family was constantly yelling at each other. And I was like, we're actually not yelling at each other. This is Brazilians don't have an inside voice. Okay. We just are very loud and expressive. And so it sounds to somebody who doesn't understand that you're mad or you're, but you're not. That's just sort of the way that it comes out. So I do find, I mean, my kids say this all the time. They're like, when you speak Portuguese, automatically, unintentionally, your the volume goes up significantly. Um, I don't notice it, honestly, but it, but it does happen. Like when I speak English, I can be, I'm not calm in either language, but in English, I'm a little calmer. In Portuguese, it's just... I don't know. There's something about it that it's just more of an expressive language. And so, you know, and then French is really when you're trying to be fancy, you know, F French has that, that sophisticated tone to it. Um, but that's not one that I yell in either. Um, but Portuguese and Italian are made for yelling. Nobody's speaking softly in either language. It doesn't work. So that's, that's my, my experience for sure. What Devine says here highlights the beauty and difference between languages. Not only do languages differ in words and tone, but also drastically in rhythm and volume. Moving on to another idea, because many people emphasize the use of English in our society, it begs the question of if there is even much use to other languages. Anisha and Vivian both have different answers to how they use their languages on a daily basis. Um, well, I actually speak. Portuguese every day. Um, Portuguese, obviously English every day at work um, and with, with, with my husband, but with the kids, I speak Portuguese and I talk to my parents or somebody in my family 
or Brazilian friends. So I speak Portuguese every day and, and, um, and English, of course, as well. French, I don't. French to me is only when I'm in France or even when I'm in France, I'm usually with my Brazilian family. So um, that is the one that I speak the least, but it does come back. Even I find myself after a few days, but it's tiring, you know? It's, it's exhausting to like try to hold a conversation in French. Like I can do it, but it's, it sucks up a lot of, I find that as I get older, it's harder and harder to focus on trying to hold the conversation. Like by the end, I'm like, oh God, I just want to speak a language that comes instinctively because you don't realize that when you speak multiple languages natively, like I do with Portuguese and English, you don't have to think about what you're saying. It just comes out. Whereas when I'm speaking French, I really have to think about, is that word masculine or is it feminine? And what's the past tense? And after a while, it gets, it gets really tiring. And now for Anisha's response. Well, it's interesting because I learned Spanish later in life. And I really, um, given that I took it for seven years, I really know so little. Um, and I, I think some of it is is that you just, it's all about speaking it. And I never really had the opportunity to speak. I didn't I didn't study abroad or, or do any of those things. And, uh, but it's interesting because I know much more about the conjugation and the rules in Spanish than I do in Gujarati. Like I couldn't really sit down and Gujarati sentence structure is also quite different than English. Um, the script is also completely different. Uh, it doesn't use the, you know, the, the, the Latin script or whatever we call the English, uh, you know, it's a whole different uh, style. Um, Gujarati also has a lot of, um, there's a difference between like da and da. And so where you put your tongue in your mouth. So it's, it's quite different. Um, but I know Gujarati much more intuitively, but I don't know as much about the, the technical aspects. I know more technical aspects of Spanish, but I really could not carry on a conversation or understand Spanish in the way that I understand Gujarati. The difference with these two circumstances is that Anisha's household might not speak Gujarati as much, therefore a reduced need to speak more than one language. Whereas Vivian's household speaks Portuguese more, which gives them opportunities to speak it. Adding on to this is that Vivian lived in Brazil and Portuguese is more native for her than Gujarati is for Anisha, since she never truly resided in India, therefore making her language a little more distant than Vivian's. It really just comes down to what your family is like and who around you also knows the language. Moving back to the impacts of bilingualism, I know that in some people's cases, being bilingual was made fun of or criticized. The type of institutionalized racism never quite made it to my school, at least because of the level of diversity and our culture. Myself and other kids would always think it was so cool that kids could speak two or even three languages. Now, Vivian and Nisha both touch on how it affected them growing up, both with similar and different experiences. Yeah, I mean, I grew up in, uh, I was a, uh, grew up in a very white uh, community at a time where there weren't a, as many immigrants in the country as there are now. So I probably did my best, unfortunately, to hide that side of me. Um, I would say most of my friends probably didn't even know the extent to which I could speak and read and write. I used to um, read and write uh, letters to my family uh, back then in uh, something called an aerogram, which was basically a letter, an international form of correspondence. Um, so I, I didn't really um, take pride in it so, so much, but I did when I'd be able to converse with my parents, uh, friends, 
fluently. And so in those instances, I was proud. Um, I had a lot of friends later in life who were Indian who, to my surprise, really had never truly learned the language the way I did um, because their parents really wanted them to be Americanized and not be seen as, as other. And so they really didn't learn the language um, or they could understand it, but they couldn't really speak it. So I had a lot of pride um, of, of, of being able to speak it to the level and, and happy that my parents uh, emphasized that so much. In addition to this, Vivian said, yeah. So when I, you know, when I moved back to Brazil um, after the year that I spent in the U.S., I had learned English pretty well, right? Because I had been in ESL, uh, but I was still very shy about speaking English. Um, so like my dad would like speak English to me to try to get me to practice and I wouldn't want to do it. Um, but then as you know, and then when I, as I got older, though, I became more, more, more comfortable with it. When I moved to the U.S., one thing that I remember that really struck me when I moved to the U.S. when I was 15, I was in high school. I was a sophomore in high school and I was in Scarsdale, which is a suburb of New York, um, a pretty American suburb. And there were there were a couple of Brazilian families who were there. And I tried speaking Portuguese to them, to these other kids who were in high school. And they were super embarrassed of being Brazilian. I think it's because they really wanted to fit in and they wouldn't speak Portuguese to me. And I thought that was so bizarre because to me, it was such a source of pride and such a big part of my identity. And I always thought it was so strange that they didn't want to speak. Like, it's almost like they didn't want to know that any, they didn't want anybody to know that they were Brazilian. So you know, that was strange to me. I know high school is a hard time. I think, you know, sometimes people trying to fit in. But for me, it was always a big source of pride. I know it's not the case with everybody, though. Because times have changed now, language is seen as something to celebrate, as opposed to maybe 20 to 50 years ago when speaking another language was looked down upon more. It also depends on the area in the United States. Some areas in the country might have more deep-rooted national pride and therefore think English should be only spoken, as well as more racist areas and people who think that any other language being spoken is weird and different. Although this still happens, being bilingual may be one of the most respected traits to have. It not only provides different perspectives and allows you to connect with more people, it also has multiple cognitive advantages that will be discussed in my next podcast. Now, with the end of my first podcast, I'd like to thank Vivian Zreich and Anisha Mason for being interviewees, and they both gave very detailed responses, and I really appreciate it. So thank you to them. Now, to wrap it up, I hope you all enjoyed, and have a good day.